Okay, we're going through excuses Christians use for not keeping the Ten Commandments. You know, it, it's it's what they will do often. Now, again, not all Christians. I'm not talking about all Christians, but there are many who will tell you and who post all kinds of stuff about, well, we're free from the law of God. We're not under the law of God. The law of God has been nailed to the cross. It's been abolished. It's been done away with. And specifically, they are referring to the Ten Commandments. And it's like I said earlier, I mean, who in their right mind, you know, if you were to ask, okay, okay, should should a Christian nation, should a people, should people who claim to be Christian, should they keep the the Ten Commandments? I mean, and who in their right mind would say, no, well, of course you should. And the law of God is all about making your life work. I mean, when you realize that, that that's what it's all about, you wonder why people have a problem with it. But anyway, excuses Christians use for not keeping the Ten Commandments. In other words, they'll say, I don't have to keep the law because of this verse in the Bible. And they will pick out their favorite verse that seems to say that the law's been done away with, the law's been abolished, the law's been nailed to the cross or whatever. And, you know, they have their pet doctrines. They have their pet verses that they use. And often what they're guilty of is proof texting. And proof texting is, is you know, when you take usually about, you know, just, just you read a part of a scripture. You don't read it all. Let me give you an example of this because this one in fa- is found in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. I've heard this one uh, quoted from preachers, and I've read this in books uh, talking about the subject of grace. Many, many times they they are guilty of doing this right here. Let me explain it. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And they will stop right there, and they will not continue reading the rest of the Scripture and what it says afterwards. And so in the minds of the gullible, in the minds of non-thinking people, they think, okay, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I, I guess... This is a no-works theology right here. I don't have to do a thing but just sort of enter into a relationship with God and just think, not even think good thoughts. I mean, forget that. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So not only are there works, there's a specific kind of works that we are to be involved in, and that is good works, and God has ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the way you walk, the walk that you walk. It's not just a talk. What you say, there's a certain way that you walk, and you walk in good works. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So when you read the rest of that verse, you know, you you have a better understanding that it's not just about, okay, by grace are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Boom, period. That's it. Oh, no, no, no. There's much more to it than that. Much more to it than that. God expects us. And here's the thing. People never question, what is God's desire for my life? Does God just want me to 
go around saying, not of works, you know, or does he want me to do something when I get up in the morning? How shall I live my life today? And how does the law of God apply to my life? The very law, the Ten Commandments, that is to make my life work. This is, it gives us life, not, not eternal life, but it makes our life work right now. That's what the law of God is all about. It defines what morality is. It defines the nature of God. It defines the character of God. That's what the law of God is all about. And so how does God want me to think about this law? Well, he wants me to think it's been abolished, been nailed to the cross, it's been fulfilled, it's been done away with. That's what he wants me to think about. You know, you wonder sometimes, why do people just are so hell-bent on thinking those thoughts? Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Well, let's look at this excuse that Christians use, Ephesians 2 and verse 14, for he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, believe it or not, I'm going to tell you something that shocks, should shock you, a lot of Christians We'll look at this and think that middle wall of partition is that nasty, rotten, ugly, meaningless, irrelevant Ten Commandments. Yeah, I mean, I wish I was kidding you. I wish I was joking. I wish I was not sincere, you know, and because you, you sort of think, you scratch your head and you think, how could anybody be so stupid as to think that? You know, that this is referring to the Ten Commandments. Uh, continuing on in verse 15, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of God, law of commandments, excuse me, contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now, again, how a lot of Christians can look at this, they will look at that and they'll say, OK, Jesus abolished in his flesh the enmity. The word enmity means hostility or hatred that Jesus abolished the absolute hate, hostility and hatred that Christians have toward the law of God. And the way he did this was by abolishing that law. You know, it's sort of like, I guess it's sort of like a stop sign that you, you just really don't want to stop there. You despise that stop sign. He should have never put it up there in the first place. You know, and you just grow to hate it and you despise it. And, and, and then one day the police officer comes out there with a chainsaw and just cuts it down. And it's the best day of your life. You know, it's the best day. It's time to celebrate because he's abolished that law. Before we get into this, let's consider some facts about what your Bible says. In Hebrews 5 and verse 9, now this is dealing with the subject of obedience. You know, we're, 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 I'm sort of contrasting a lot of Christian thought that says, you know, we don't have to, we're not under the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And then I'm contrasting that with what your Bible says about obedience. Now, I know the subject of obedience, we don't like to submit to any type of authority or higher power. I mean, let's just face it. And, and, and then we throw in that ugly word, obedience. And, it's that, and, and here's the thing. When I talk about obedience... I'm not talking about obedience to get you saved. 
You know, it's a strange thing. When I talk about, do these videos and podcasts and, and sermons on obedience, immediately people will jump the ditch and say, well, you're talking about being saved by works or your obedience. That, that's not the point. I mean, that's, that's not even what I believe. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about obedience in the sense that any father wants his children to obey him. And that if this obedience is what makes my life work in a, to begin with, and if this obedience is pleasing to God, I mean, what's the opposite of obedience? Well, it's disobedience. Now, I hope we all know that God doesn't want us to be disobedient. And I guess that's where the concept comes from. If we can just get rid of the law, there's nothing for me to obey. And I think that's the heavenly thought that people love who want to do away with the law of God. I mean, just get rid of this law. There'll be nothing to obey. Ah, it's ecstasy. Yes. All right. Hebrews 5 and verse 9, And being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Ooh, what do we do with this verse? What do we do? I mean, what's there to obey if the law's been abolished can you answer that question i mean this says jesus became the author of eternal salvation not just salvation but eternal salvation unto all them that and here's the ugly word obey him the willingness to obey him not to get yourself saved just to do the right thing are you willing to obey god you know now i know i mean it's like you want to hide underneath a rock right now. You just you just come out from under the rock that you're trying to hide behind and tell me, if the law has been abolished, what is there to obey? What do we obey? Revelation 22 and verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Who has a right to the tree of life? Who Entered. Who has a right to enter into the gates? Boy, I tell you, the silence is deafening. Well, it is those that, and notice this language, do his commandments. Oh my, why does it say do? You know, why? Why does that have to be in there? Why does that have to be at the end of the Bible? And here we are with this, you know, this this warning. Blessed are, well, it's not a warning. I mean, yeah, it is a warning, but it says blessed are they that do his commandments, not just think about them, not just spiritualize them away, as many Christians do, you know, and, and, and often what I've heard again and again and again is, well, there's only two commandments, and love God and love your neighbor as yourself, and that's true. There, there, there are two commandments, but that's a summation of the ten. The first four tell you how to love God. The last six tells you how to love your fellow man. God make, has the authority to make up the rules. You're not making up your own rules, are you? How you're going to love God and how you're going to love your fellow man. Now, that's what we want. That's what the carnal mind wants. We love our Jesus as long as we get to make up the rules. It's all about love. Oh, it's just love, 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 love. And as long as I get to decide how I will love God, and as long as I get to decide how I will love my neighbor, well, I'm happy. That's, that's not how it works. The first four tell you how to love God. The last six commandments tell you how to love your fellow man. 
It's only up to you to submit. Okay. All right. Ephesians 2 and verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now, just what are these law of commandments contained in ordinances? Well, they are Jewish laws. You know, it doesn't say, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the Ten Commandments. It doesn't say that. And often you want to look at what the Bible does not say. You know, there's an assumption when people read this verse, oh, that's talking about the Ten Commandments. You know, it's like, okay, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That's talking about the Ten Commandments. No. If it was talking about the Ten Commandments, it would say this, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the Ten Commandments. So you want to look at what the Bible does not say instead of just pre-assuming, assuming, you know, oh, oh this is talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay, what are, what are what these commandments contained in ordinances? What were they? Well, if you turn over to Colossians 2 and verse 20, it will tell you. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world... Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Okay, ordinances. We're going to find out what these ordinances are. The Bible tells us, Colossians 2 and verse 21, Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, you want to mark that. We're talking about commandments and doctrines of men. We're not talking about commandments of God. We're not talking about the law of God. We're not talking about anything that belongs to God right now. We're talking about ordinances such as touch not, taste not, handle not, and a list a mile long, actually. And we're talking about they're all made up by these these commandments and these doctrines are made up by men. That's what we're talking about here. Now, if you want to know what these law of commandments contain in ordinances are, it's the oral law. It, it was the oral law of the Jews that separated Jew from Gentile. It is really just that simple. The Jews had back then what was f- referred to as the oral law. Now, you don't find the word oral law in the New Testament, but you do find the statement, tradition, the tradition of the elders and commandments and doctrines of men. But the tradition of the elders, that little statement that Jesus often referred to, and the Pharisees referred to them also, the tradition of the elders is a direct reference to the oral law of the Jews. Now, the oral law was fence-building around the Ten Commandments. You know, they had to know every nuance. I mean, the commandments were very simplistic, but they wanted to know every detail of what they could and could not do. And so they begin to establish their oral tradition that was fence building around the law of God. And that often, it was a very exclusive, you know, religion, actually. But it was fence building around the law of God that, that, that these, these traditions of men, they didn't come from the Bible, this oral tradition. It, it came from their own Jewish tradition and additional laws they had added. Now, what was this middle wall of partition? Again, Ephesians 2 and verse 14. For he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Is this a reference to the Ten Commandments? 
No, no, not, not at all. In the temple, during the days of the Apostle Paul, when Paul walked this earth, there was a wall called the Soreg that prohibited Gentiles and non-purified Jews from entering the temple courts. Now, this was a literal wall, wall or partition, that separated often Jews and Gentiles. You know, here, here's the thing you got to wrap your mind around. The Jews' religion was the most exclusive religion out there. I mean, the very word Pharisee means separatist. We're not like these nasty Jew, these nasty uh, Gentiles. We're different. We have our religion. We have our relationship with God. And it became extremely an exclusive religion. They failed to take the law of God to all nations. You know, here was this beautiful law given to the Jews first. To the Jews first was given the oracles of God. And had they shared that with all people and all nations, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Because after all, the law of God, specifically the Ten Commandments, is about making your life work. But, you know, they failed to evangelize. And the Jews' religion became an exclusive religion. So this, the middle wall of partition, why was this a problem? Well, because Christ came together. He came together Jews and Gentiles unto one nation. I mean, how many scriptures are there that tell us God's will, God's desire concerning all people, concerning Jew, Gentile, all races of people? John 11 and verse 49. Let's just look at this example. This statement here, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad. So so what is God's will here? Together. He wants to gather all people. Christ said there would be one flock under one shepherd. Notice this, John 10 and verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Paul says Gentiles are fellow heirs and partakers of the promise given to Israel. Ephesians 3 and verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Notice this. Gentiles, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I mean, this was so hard for the exclusive religion of the Pharisees, of the Jews of that day, to simply accept. I mean, it was like jumping over a... I mean, it was, it was, it was, they could not get over this because they, in their minds, owned God. It was their religion. It was their nation. And they weren't too keen about sharing God with others. Paul says that there are no more divisions such as Jew and Gentiles. We are all, all one in Christ. Notice this, Galatians 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what's, what, what's the Bible telling us? It's talking about the end of this separatist, exclusive religion of the Jews. You know, many Christians are, are totally unaware of this, that there was a physical barrier, a middle wall that separated Gentiles and Jews in the days of Paul at the temple in Jerusalem. Known as the Soriage, this partition prohibited Gentiles from entering into the temple courts. Now, they actually, archaeologists have actually discovered signs that were placed on this wall. Some of the signs which were placed on the Soridge have been discovered. And the inscription says this. It says, No outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. And whoever is caught, you know, trying to get over this middle wall of partition, will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death or for his ensuing death. I mean, this is the kind of separation that we're talking about. I mean, here are people coming to, they want to worship God. They want to to enter into a relationship with God. So they come to the temple that existed in, in, in the days of the Apostle Paul. And here is this wall. And here are these signs saying, you know, separating the two. No outsider, no Gentile, okay, shall enter in. And whoever is caught will be responsible for his ensuing death, which will occur immediately. Okay, Ephesians 2 and verse 14. For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. What are we talking about? We're talking about no more separation, no more division, no more exclusivism, no more separation between Jew and Gentile. This verse has absolutely nothing to do with God's law being abolished. You know, I sometimes think Christians, not only are they going to have to answer to Jesus for their thoughts, but but they're going to have to face the Apostle Paul also. And I can only imagine what Paul will say. He, I mean, he will say, D- D- did you actually think in your pea brain mind that I was talking about abolishing the, the, the law of God? The Ten Commandments? Do you actually believe that this is what this was about? This middle wall or partition, when you read about the history, of the Bible and and the the attitude, the bad attitude that the Jews had toward Gentiles, and there are examples and examples and examples. And Peter, you know, had to be shown this vision: don't call that which is common unclean. And 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 it was all about salvation going to the Gentiles also. And and there's just so many examples in the Bible of this. And then to take this verse and to say, well, that that's that's talking about the, the Ten Commandments. That's that's what it that's. A, it's insanity. You need to learn to think about what you read, and you need to study history of the Bible and to understand what these verses actually mean. This verse has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments being abolished. Hebrews 8 and verse 10. Now here is the explanation of what the New Covenant is all about. You know, originally the, the law was written upon tables of stone. 
now they're going to be written in a, under the new covenant. They're going to be written upon our minds and our hearts. Far be it from some kind of crazed concept that the law is abolished or or, or n- nailed to the cross. No, it's it's a the covenant is about a matter of application. Where are we going to apply these commandments today? In our hearts and in our minds, which obviously means we're going to do them. And if they've been abolished, you're not going to be able to do them. Hebrews 8 and verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. You look at why is God going to write his laws upon our hearts and mind. The answer is because it's the very nature and character of God. The law teaches us how to make our lives work. And, and for human beings, that's critically, critically important, is it not? I mean, I want my life to work. And there are instructions, 10 of them, on how to make our life work. The law of God is a definer of morality. You want to know what's right and what's wrong? You want to know how a society should work and what they should do? Look at the Ten Commandments. You know, our theology, what you believe about the law of God, reveals your character. And if you believe there is no law, and if you believe the law has been abolished, you don't have any character. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is... Is that really in the Bible dot net?